Take a seat. We're going to be in First uh, Thessalonians chapter four tonight. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there or uh, pull up the old Bible app, or we'll have it on the screens. Um, glad to see so many of you tonight. Super, super grateful for uh, all of the adults who help with our kids ministry across the board and just get them ready for stuff like this tonight and uh, give them themselves. Very grateful for that. And uh, glad to see so many of you out with us tonight. Like I said, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, This is the uh, third Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a a part of the church calendar that uh, Christians all around the world for a really long time have um, observed uh, certain sections of the year and have reserved those to focus on certain aspects of our faith. And Advent is the, the season of, of waiting and anticipating and longing for the arrival of the Messiah. It is uh, coming up to Christmas. It's that, that time where we identify with those in the Old Testament who waited based on the prophecies of Jesus to come. And, and all of the things that the Messiah was going to be to Israel and to the world. Uh, we identify with them because we are also waiting he has come the first time, and he is returning again, and so we find ourselves in between his first arrival and his second arrival, and the word Advent means arrival, and so that's each, each year we get to this time where we kind of experience that same longing and waiting, and we talk about his first coming and his second coming, and, and, and kind of focus on those things and pray about those things. So the first Sunday of Advent, I spoke about Jesus' first arrival, And then the second Sunday, I spoke about life in between those two arrivals. And tonight, I'm going to talk about his second coming. So, um, in 1991, some of you were not around, but a lot of you were. Um, And as as someone who, like my high school and college years were in the 90s, and so I got to be a part of some really terrible music uh, during that time. But in 1991... Uh, many of us were blessed, like our ears were blessed with this really new sound that came out of Seattle when Nirvana released their uh, album Nevermind and Smells Like Teen Spirit was like this, like we had never heard anything before. Anybody relate to that? No? Just me? Okay. So you remember being like, okay, this is different. This is like, this is something that is unforgettable in a lot of ways and you sort of felt like this was a big moment in music and between Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, like we just kind of got overwhelmed with this amazing, like different, like darker, kind of angry kind of sound. And, and these albums are super popular in '91. And so, um, like most things in contemporary Christian music, uh, Christian contemporary Christian music kind of looks at the secular trends and just kind of duplicate it. And it's usually like four years after the trend hits. And so, in 1995, an album came out that uh, where DC Talk made the the switch from being a rap group to being a rock rap group. And they made their own like Nirvana sounding album called Jesus Freak. Anybody remember Jesus Freak? And I remember as a like, so I was like a a college freshman feeling like, you know what? This is the, (laughs) this sounds bad. This is just, this is just me. Not trying to put anything on anyone else. I was like, this is the first 
like Christian music I've ever heard that I wasn't embarrassed for my non-Christian friends to listen to. You know, this like sounds kind of kind of raw and kind of rough, and uh, it was behind the trend. But you know, whatever. Jesus Freak brought uh, all these like these kind of sounds and this kind of rock kind of deal to it, and um, and then DC Talk kind of became a band that people followed a lot. And in 1996, they released uh, a, a single on this album called Wow. And every year, remember when WOW would come out, it would have like all these different tracks from all these different Christian bands. And there's a DC Talk track on there, and everyone was so excited of like, oh, a new, like a new DC Talk track. Uh, but it wasn't grungy. It was really scary and sad. And it's this song that they covered, written by Larry Norman. Some of you know Larry Norman. Uh, and it's called, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Anybody remember that song? You ever heard that song? And the whole song is basically setting up the scariest, it's like this real gentle, like Simon and Garfunkel sounding song, but it's like, hey, um, two men are going to be walking up a hill, and one's going to disappear, and the other is standing still. Y'all don't remember this song? And they'll say, I wish we'd all been ready. And it goes through all these scenarios, I'm like, yep, I wish we'd all been ready, and then the chorus is like, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. The second coming of Jesus, and that phrase, left behind, some of it from the Larry Norman song and the DC Talk cover, and some of it from the book series from Tim LaHaye and uh, the other guy. Um, Left behind has become a part of American Christian culture. And it is something that generates a lot of like weirdness within a lot of people. Because we're supposed to want Jesus to come back, but it kind of has this scary vibe to it. Like, like you're going to be doing something really normal, and you're going to hear a trumpet, and a bunch of people are going to vanish, and you might not vanish. And you've been left behind, and it's terrible, Right? The second coming of Jesus is not supposed to induce fear in us. And so, uh, in this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, if you look, if you begin in verse 18, uh, at the end of this passage where he talks about it, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In talking about the second coming, Paul thinks that we should be encouraged to hear about it. And I wish we'd all been ready is not encouraging. The Left Behind series is not encouraging. Uh, it, it has a place among us that maybe it should not have. So what I want to do, my goal is to, uh, for us to be encouraged tonight about the second coming. And for it to not be something that we fear, but something that we long for and anticipate uh, with a lot of joy and a lot of hope. So there are three points I'm going to make, and they're all uh, taken from Bible verses that I think would help us to be encouraged and not be afraid um, so here's the, here's the first one. It's found in this passage uh, in verse 16. Uh, the first point, uh, or first part of the verse is this. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Okay, so if you're writing notes and you want to write that out, that's like the first point. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. So let's read the, read the passage. For, start, start in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So in talking about asleep, he's talking about people who have passed away. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, 
God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So through Jesus, those who are in Christ who have died will be, will be like brought to God by the keeping power of Jesus himself. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, there's something that I need to, to try to like, bring some clarity to. Left behind, and I wish we'd all been ready, and uh, those kinds of ideas are largely derived from this passage of Scripture, where it says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and that we will go to meet Him in the air upon His return. So that's where this idea of us being taken away comes from. But that's not what the, what the passage is really saying. And there's another passage in Matthew uh, 24 that also kind of like, talks about like, people being, taken, being swept away, taken away. And you kind of push those together, and there's this formation of this belief that for Christians, at some point, Jesus is going to show up in the sky, and there'll be some trumpets, and we will be like raptured, like taken away from here with him somewhere else. And so for a lot of us who grew up in American churches and southern churches, the, it wasn't really a matter of, is the rapture going to happen? It was a matter of like, when is it going to happen? Is it going to happen like before the thousand year millennial reign or like in the middle of it or at the end of it? And where does the judgment seat fall? And what about Armageddon and the Antichrist and the, like all this, like all these kind of things just kind of bubble up. And the rapture has been taught as fact when really it's not found in the Bible. Um, it is a, it's a new, like if you look at like biblical doctrine, like going back to like the original like writings, this is a really new kind of, of thinking. And here's a really quick synopsis of where this comes from. In, like during the, during the Civil War era, there was a theologian, uh, his last name is Darby, and he was Scottish, and he was in a revival meeting. A girl had a vision about Jesus' return, saying that he didn't come once, he came twice. And Darby was kind of uh, concerned by the fact that the rab- like, like the, Jesus still hadn't returned, that the prophecies weren't coming true, and all this kind of stuff. And so he sat down and kind of mapped out what he thought those, this passage, Matthew 24, and a lot of the stuff in Revelation, kind of ma- mashed them all together and was like, this is what I think is going to happen. And he kind of like laid it all out there. And it didn't really, it didn't really take in, in, uh, in England and Scotland and all those kind of places. It didn't really catch on very much. He finds himself here in the United States, and he is teaching and he's preaching, and it's during the Civil War era. The, the war ends, uh, there's Reconstruction, and like, that whole time is when he was preaching, and for a country who was immersed in the worst things they had ever seen, 
you come in and you say, hey, uh, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us away from all this terrible stuff. People are like, okay, tell me, tell me more about this. So he begins to explain himself and, and people begin to really respond very well because they like the idea of taking, of being like, of escaping the worst things that life has to give us here on the earth. So to Civil War America, it wasn't going to get much worse than that. And so they began to think, yes, this is it. These are the end times. This, like, Jesus is about to come and take us away from this. And so you begin to, like more preachers start to buy into that and more, like it starts to become like a thing that happens and then there are hymns that are written based on this and, and there are, are revivals that happen because of this and it becomes this belief that Jesus' message is, let me take you out of here to Beulah Land, <laughs> right? At the midnight cry, we'll fly away. If you're left behind, you wish you'd been ready. You know, like let's just mash them all into one sentence. And that became the thing that was not a theory. It, was a, it became like, no, that's what's going to happen. And so in the, middle, in the middle of the Civil War and all through Reconstruction, it just becomes embedded in American Christianity. And so a lot of us grew up not as like, this is one guy's theory that was based on a girl's vision and some maybe really, really questionable interpretation of some Bible verses. We were taught, no, this is it. Like left behind and the rapture and all those kinds of things are absolutely what's going to happen. The question mark is when. But really, the scriptures don't talk about that. This, this passage right here, if you look at verse 16, says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He will descend from heaven. So at his ascension, uh, he like goes into the sky and the angels are like, uh, hey, he's going to come back the same way that he left. But this says he will descend. Not, a, just, not just like show up and then we go to him. He's like, no, he's descending. That is saying that he's coming here. So we're not flying away from here. He's coming to us. Um, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's where that's where it comes. It's like no, that sounds like we're like we're gone, you know, disappearing. But contextually, this time Paul's readers would have heard this very differently than you and I do. If a king was approaching a, a city in his like jurisdiction. As he's coming in, there are riders that go ahead of him. And they go ahead of him to proclaim in the city that the king is coming. And there's trumpets and there's fanfare and they make a whole big thing. And if there's, most of those other cities were walled, you know, for protection. And so the people, whenever they were hearing that the king is on his way to your city, get ready. The people would come out of the walls of the city and they would come out onto the road. And they would wait for him. And they would lay their coats out, and they would sometimes get the palm branches, and it's like a Palm Sunday kind of thing. But they would go out to greet him, so you don't want, I mean, if, if the President of the United States is coming to your house, you're not going to be like, well, he can knock on my door, you know. No, like you're anticipating that. You're going to meet him at least in your driveway, right? Maybe at the airport. And so they would go out to greet the king. 
he is coming in and they would accompany him back into their city. And so Paul's readers would have heard this not as flying away and escaping this terrible planet, but of saying, no, we're going to go greet him. Now, because he ascended like, into the clouds, the understanding is, I mean, if he had like, gone down like I-10, then we'd go down I-10, but he went into the air. And so there's this coming into the air. So maybe there is some sort of like lifting up that happens. Where Jesus is there, and perhaps in some like really miraculous, crazy way, maybe there is like a going up in the air kind of thing, but the destination is not elsewhere. The destination is here. That just like going to greet a king and bring him into your city, we go to greet our king and bring him here to the earth. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. We're not flying out of here. Not according to the Bible. In Matthew 24, when it's talking about the like people disappearing and, the, and those kind of things, it's... It's in context, uh, there's, it, he talks about Noah's Ark. In the context of Noah's Ark, you know who was, who was glad to be left behind? Noah and his wife and his family. They passed safely through the waters of judgment, and they were left behind alive. And so really, in, even in those verses, being left behind is kind of what you want. Like You want to survive the judgment. You don't want to be swept away by the waters and so it really is not about going somewhere else, and we have to, we have to let go of that belief that we're just going to get like vacuumed out of here. Because God with us, in the incarnation, and Jesus coming the first time, he's in the manger, he grows to be a man who dies on a cross for our sins, God with us in the midst of the bad stuff, that's the gospel that the Bible teaches us. That's the faith that we are a part of. And he's not coming to take us away from it. He's coming to join us in the middle of it. I'm not saying anything about the Antichrist or uh, if we're going to have computer chips in our foreheads or how blood moons or ISIS or any of that kind of stuff fits into it. Those are all things I have no idea about. But this one we need to grab onto. He's coming here. And if we go meet him in the air, it's not to get out of here. It's for him to come here with us again in like tangible bodily form. And that should excite us. Um, I'm sure that in the Civil War era, people were eager to get out of the just take me away from here. And there's times when, when I know that you feel that way, and I feel that way too. You kind of wish that it was like a rapture, right? Because you're just times where you're so tired of being here. But that's not that's not the picture that's painted by the scriptures. Rapture theology can be it can be troubling and it can be really risky. God being with us in our suffering is the case in his incarnation with us and also through the church. He's with people in their suffering through our lives. And so we have to be encouraged that it's not about getting out of here, but it's about Jesus returning. But he doesn't just say, like, I'm coming back, and that's all that we have to work with. There's another really great statement that, it, that exists. Um, and you don't need to turn to this, but you can just write this down as the second point. In Revelation 21.5, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. That Jesus, when he returns, he's not returning to just kind of like leave things as is. When he came the first time, he didn't leave things as is. And when he comes the second time, he definitely isn't leaving things as is. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And so rather than rapturing us out of here, he comes to meet us in the midst of it. And he's like, okay, now, now you're going to see some like, legitimate, like, some real like, restorative change. So I'm not going to take you to this new planet that I'm making. And when he says it's a new earth, a new heavens and a new earth, he's not really saying like it has not existed before. It's like this brand new thing. He's saying, no, I'm coming to renew this earth. Everything here is going to be renewed. So that word new in that verse... It, it isn't, it's not really bringing to the, to the table this idea that, uh, yeah, it's never existed before. It's a renewal. That everything that has been corrupted by sin is going to be corrected once, like once and for all. That everything being made new again is what his return is going to be about. And so sin has corrupted uh, everything that we see and everything we feel and everything that we experience. Then he is going to come and reverse what sin has done. So in Genesis 3, um, like Adam and Eve sin, there's a brokenness of humanity. And uh, that brokenness has been passed on to all of us. And so every one of us is born um, not who God intended for us to be as his children made in his image. He didn't intend for us to be prideful. He didn't intend for us to to find our worth and value in things or people or ideas or money or anything like that. There's all these kind of things about it. He didn't create us to murder. He didn't create us to be greedy. He didn't create us to have strife. He didn't create us to refuse to forgive. Like All these kinds of things that are kind of part of life, that's not what he had in mind. And it's because we're we're under the curse of sin and death. And all that brokenness he's coming to, to make new, to renew in us. And so you will be renewed. And, and you know, people, people get to talk about like, oh, you know, at some point we're going to put on our heavenly bodies. And, you know, that's taken to me like, oh, we're gonna, all going to have like six packs and be like super good looking and whatever. And it's like, you know, if that's the case, fine. You know, that'd be cool, whatever. But that's really not the thing that should excite us the most. That you, when Jesus returns... Jesus will renew you. You will be the you that it's beyond what you've always wanted to be. You'll be the you unimpacted by sin. Sure, all the things about yourself that you wish you could change, but you, really, you, but you struggle through it, and it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah. We all know those things, but we can't even begin to imagine what new earth, like renewed earth, like you and I are going to be like. I think Jesus gets so excited to see how excited we will be when we're realizing, like, this is what you created me to be? Like, all those, like, temptations I could never really say no to and all the struggles that I had and the insecurities and all the baggage, all those things are just been, like, just vacuumed out and you've, this is me. If sin had never hit my life, this is what I would be. Parents, you know how it is. Like, sometimes you might give your kid a birthday present or for some other occasion, and there are these gifts, and you are more excited than, than anything because you can't wait to see them get super pumped about opening that thing up. Now take that and just blow that completely out of the water by like a billion degrees because Jesus is going to look at us, and we're just going to be freaking out. That you will not be, you, you'll be the best possible version of yourself. And we can't even really wrap our minds around that. 
your relationships will be renewed. There will be no tensions. There will be no baggage. There will be none of that relational stuff that keeps things weird between you and another person. That will be gone. Creation will be renewed. Like finally flourishing. The earth itself is under this curse, and so the earth is broken. And so there are times when the earth cooperates with us so well. You know, you plant an orange tree, you water it, you put it in the right place, you give it time, and it produces oranges. And you're like, high five, earth, right? Like, we did, that was awesome. But then there are times when, the, when, like, it doesn't rain in parts of the world for months at a time. And there is famine, And there are times when the plates of the earth shift and there are earthquakes and there are tsunamis. And there are times when really powerful things like fire and water and wind get out of control and they end up doing a lot of damage to a lot of people. And we know firsthand in this community what some of those things can do. And so creation itself is under that curse as well. Romans 8 says that creation is longing to be free from that bondage just like we should be longing to be free from that bondage. And so it's hard to think that the Grand Canyon can get any better. You know, Certain things you're like, man, I don't know how God could top that. And maybe he won't. Maybe he'll be like, hey, Grand Canyon, uh, it took me a long time to make it that way, and I really like it. So like, that's going to be there. Just like, deal with it. It's not going to get better. Uh, there are some things I think that we taste heaven here on this side of it because he's just good, good and kind to us. But man, there's so much about creation that will be renewed all of it. Our awareness of God will be renewed. You know, like, like, do you ever battle with being distracted or, or like forgetting of uh, things about his presence or his kindness or his power? Do you ever, ever things that you just should be praying for, but you don't because you're just like, you're somewhere else, you know, and there are times when God's at work, but you just can't sense it because you're just not dialed in there. And all of that awareness will be completely 100% that, that you will not exist on the new earth, this earth renewed, in a way that is unaware of God's goodness to you and his love for you and what he's doing around you. I could keep going for a while, but our eternal destination is not somewhere else. This is our eternal destination. It's just not the version of here that we know. It's the perfect version of here. It's the renewed version. So maybe maybe the earth will be the same size. Maybe he'll make it bigger. Maybe you know who knows what he's going to do to it. But he's it's this place. This is heaven. And so for us at Advent to be excited about his return, to know that he is coming here to make all of this new by wiping the curse of sin away from you and from me and from creation, and from the nations, so that we are gathered together, and everything is exactly how it's supposed to be. We're talking about Eden. Like, Eden is, like, where we're headed. And that should encourage us. It should make us want that to happen so soon. It's like, hey, you don't need to get worried about walking down the street with your friend, and there's a trumpet, and your friend vanishes, and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen to me? That's not, it's not what Jesus is That's not the picture that the scriptures present. He's descending to the earth to make all things new. And the third point, as I close, is found in Matthew 6, verse 10, when Jesus is teaching his disciples and us to pray. 
says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching us who are here between his first coming and his second coming. A part of our, like how we're supposed to interact with the Lord is, is praying for his will and his kingdom to be here, like to be real now here among us. That heaven and earth, would, that there would be no dividing line between them. Jesus is saying, this is what I've come to bring you. That earth can be heavenly now. There are certain things about heaven and certain things about being made new that we're just going to have to wait for. You know, Jesus is not saying, hey, come, like, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me as your Lord and Savior and you'll never have a problem. You know, nothing will ever be an issue. You won't even get sick ever again. There will be just no problems at all. He's saying, no, I'm going to invite you into this kingdom, and there are some things about this kingdom and this future that you can walk in in this very moment. Some of it you're going to have to wait for. And so creation is longing for its redemption, but you see the Grand Canyon might be, might be doing like the new earth thing right now. And so for you and I, there are things that we're having to wait for just like creation, but there are some Grand Canyons in our lives. There are some of those things that right now we are tasting and seeing the goodness of God in a him descending and making all things new kind of way. So Jesus is teaching him, like, hey, pray this. This is, this is how you live your life on earth as it is in heaven. Seek the ways that that can be a thing and make it a thing. Like, work with me. Let me build this in you. Here's a couple examples real quick. So Jesus is lordship of your life. That can be like on earth as it is in heaven. Like that can be a thing. So when he returns and after whatever's going to happen in terms of of judgment and separating sheep and goats and eternal life, all those kind of things, I I don't really know. But his lordship over everything in the universe is coming. Like there won't be anyone saying no to him down the road. But until, until then... We don't have to say no to him. You know? He's going to rule the, the universe with no exception at some point, but he can rule you now. He can rule me now. That could be a Grand Canyon for us. His presence always in fullness. Like, like God never says, like, well, one day when you get to heaven, then I'll be there in fullness. But right now I'm going to go about 65 70% for you. It's like, no, he's in fullness now. God, God doesn't segment himself up. He's everywhere in the universe all the time. But, right, but, but we don't always, aren't always paying attention to that. So even created this like, beautiful discipline of gathering together with the saints. And we begin to sing and we pray and we take communion. And you kind of like, like, man, I really feel like God's in the room with me. And he's like, exactly, I'm in the room with you. I'm also in your room and your car and your cubicle at work. And I'm on your street. I'm in your school. Uh, I'm in all those places. And so we, don't, we, we may not always be 100% aware of it, but he can train us to live that kind of life. Creation care. You know, why should we recycle? Well, because this is the new earth. It's just not new yet. He's coming here to make this place new, so we need to like, give a rip about the environment. We need to care about one another, and we need to care about how we treat things, and, and, and we need to take care and steward his creation really, really well. And not just in America, all around the world. Like, we should be absolutely invested in taking care of the planet because he's coming here. 
It'd be so, it's so different if you think, we're going to fly it away to some other place, and like, who cares about this place? Let's just nuke everything and get it over with. But that's a belief that exists out there. Some people's attitude like that. But if you're thinking you're going to be raptured out of here, then sure, like, why, why care about this planet? But you start reading the Bible, and it's like, man, Jesus cares about this place enough to come back and make it new. So how about we start now? How about that becomes important to us now? I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying that's why it should be. We can pray for healing now. We may not always be healed, but sometimes we are healed. Like that's something that can be a real thing for us. Our, taking care of our physical bodies, that's an important thing for us to, to steward. Because he's coming to make us new. And I, I'm not really sure that that means you're going to leap into some other body. What if it's this body currently? You know, our physical care is important. The divisions between one another and forgiveness and conflict resolution and just not being babies when things are weird in between us. It becomes so important because, because we are the ones being made new. Like we can be on earth as it is in heaven now. We don't have to wait until then to resolve everything. Some stuff, you know, okay, some stuff it has to happen that way, but not everything. And so why would we wait? It doesn't make any sense to wait. You can... Be incarnational in your in ministry on your street and where you work and stuff like that because because God with us is a real thing that we walk in that when we worship God and being close with Jesus at all like all those kinds of things there's so much that doesn't have to wait there's so many of these Grand Canyon ideas that now can be ours we don't have to put it off there's enough stuff that we're just going to have to wait for and sometimes it's exhausting sometimes it's you start watching the news or like reading stuff online, you're just like, oh, what? You just want to give up. You just want to quit. And no wonder rapture theology was so attractive to people because someone starts saying, hey, Jesus is going to take us out of here. And you're like, sign me up for that. Sign me up for the last verse of that hymn because I like the fact that we're getting out of here. But it's really not what Jesus teaches. He teaches something so much better. Isn't this so much better? Isn't Jesus coming here and renewing everything forever? Isn't that a better version than like, hey, let's just get out of here? I, I think it is. I, I think that the picture given to us by the word of God is better. That Jesus is better. His plan is better. I'm not here to bash rapture theology or the last 200 years or that guy Darby who, who came up with that's not my That's not my intention. I just want us to see Why in the world would Paul, in verse 18, say, be encouraged with these words? This is why. We should live an encouraged life because this is what our future entails. It's got a lot of mystery to it. There's a lot of unknown. You start reading Revelation, you're like, I don't get this. This is all, this sounds really scary and really whatever. There's a lot of interpretive explanations that can maybe ease some of our concerns, but... At the end of the day, we're just, not, we're just not supposed to know all that stuff. But what do we know? The Lord himself shall descend to this earth to make all things new. And until he does, earth and heaven don't have to be separated in every area of our lives. So when we talk about hope and joy and peace this time of year, no wonder when the angel said, uh, I bring you uh, 
Good news of great joy for all the people. I think this is really, really great news. And it makes me joyful, and I love the fact that this is for everyone. You will not find an exception to this. That this is what Jesus has come to do. And now, through his church, being his bride, we can live in this reality. So I hope that you are encouraged by this. I hope that you, uh, if you, if you want to talk about any of the left behind stuff and how maybe it scares you sometimes, I would love to dialogue about it and kind of talk more on that. But that's not really the focus. The focus is the goodness of our God. And I hope that we are continuing to become more and more the kind of people who just beg for him to come and come quickly because we are ready. We're not ready to just end everything and get out of here. We're ready, we're ready to, to greet him and to come with him back here and to watch all of this transpire uh, because he's just that good. He's, he's too good for us to just not worry about whenever he's coming back. You know? He's so good that we wish it was now. And so I hope that stirs within us. Um, so... Uh, what we normally do here on Sundays when we're together is, is kind of what we've done. We sing a little bit, and there's some prayer, and we look at the Word, and we respond in a couple of ways. So I know some of you are familiar with, with how we do things, and some of you are guests with us tonight. Um, so we're going to sing, and as we sing, a couple of things are going to happen. Some folks are going to stay where they are and sing, and that's totally cool. Some folks may come down here and kneel. Maybe there's something going on, maybe with the sermon, maybe something else. They just want to come and kneel and pray. You're welcome to do that as well. And then uh, Megan Kelly uh, is going to be serving communion tonight. She'll be down here. And we just kind of work our way through a communion line going one at a time. And um, she's going to hold out this tray, and it has a cup and some bread on it. And you'll tear the bread off yourself, and you'll dip the bread into the juice, and you'll eat it. And as you're doing that, she says, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Um, You don't have to be a member here to participate in this. We ask that you be a follower of Jesus, like a committed Jesus is your Lord person. Um, And we invite you to join us uh, in in that. And the idea is, here's Jesus offering himself to all of these different individuals that this one solution meets every need in the whole place. And so whether it's singing or prayer or communion or a mixture of all those kind of things, we're just going to spend a few minutes before we dismiss and the kids come in and everything gets all kind of crazy, just a few minutes together thinking about this. Now one of the songs we're going to sing is Joy to the World. Joy to the World is not a Christmas carol as much as it is a like second coming of Jesus song. So as we go through some of the words, you're going to notice talking where it talks about heaven and nature singing. Why would nature sing? Oh, because she's been freed. Because now the whole earth is one big like Grand Canyon type thing. You know, the earth receiving her king. And every heart preparing room for him. Every heart greeting him and welcoming him into the city. That no longer will the ground be cursed no longer will we be cursed. It's just filled with all this imagery. It's really not about the first coming as much as it is the second coming. And so maybe we can kind of merge those together as we sing it together tonight. I hope it's a blessing to you. Um, so let's stand together and let me pray for us as we enter into this time of response. Lord,
Lord, I'm so grateful that there are things you have uh, revealed to us through the scriptures, and I'm also grateful that there are things you have kept to yourself. And I pray that you would help us to be okay with the mystery about your, your next return. Um, you know us better than we know ourselves, and you know that we don't live in an era where we're okay just not knowing something. But I'm glad that you kept that from us. And I ask that you would help us to be okay with just not knowing the details, but instead to focus on what we do know. We do know that Christ uh, has died, and Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That's a mantra that, that our faith has uh, spoken and sung over one another for a long time. And God, we are grateful for your first arrival. Um, and it was just filled with so much crazy stuff in terms of circumstances. But Jesus, you're able to relate to the things we're going through because you lived here for so long. You walked this earth, you know the difficulties, you know the, you know the weight of sin, you know the battle of temptation. You understand and you meet us. And so uh, I'm thankful that you, through the Lord's Supper, offer to us your body and blood. That by approaching your table, we're saying that we, we acknowledge that we, you're the one that we need. And you're also the one who's offering yourself to us. And so as we pray and sing and file in line, hearing over and over again the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, thankful that you are the one solution. That you are coming here to make everything new. And until then, you're making us new. Thanks for the chance to get together and celebrate that worship together. Pray that these next few moments are a blessing to everyone that's here, uh, but mostly that they are honoring to you as we tell you thank you and ask for your help. Uh, we love you. We pray this in your name.